The podcast has been generating a lot of interest as of late. Also, it has been generating many questions from those of you listening. There is a wide range of topics, concerns, and issues that are on your minds. From the latest happenings in Guam, the other U.S. territories, life, sports, you name it. I will do my best to help you think it through them all as best as I can. I answer your questions on this episode of That's It, That's All. You are listening to That's It, That's All with Sean DiMatato. You are listening to That's It, That's All. I'm Sean DiMatato here, the host of the podcast. That's It, That's All is brought to you by Get LLC, the consulting and specialty construction materials and supplies firm, serves public and private sector organizations in Micronesia. Do you need help with starting a small business? Need advice on making your commercial facilities more energy efficient? Get LLC may have the answer. They can be found on the World Wide Web at get-guam.com. Check out their site and contact them if you need some help today. Hello to those listeners in West Sacramento, California. Also, greetings to those of you listening in Birmingham, Alabama. The listenership is growing with each episode to include those listening in Belou Laloche in central France. Can't forget the listeners across my island home, especially those in the capital city of Hagatnya, especially those in Anigua. Hafa day to you all. Thanks for having That's It, That's All along with you as you go from one end of Paradise Guam to the other. Remember to download the podcast for your next gym workout, that special road trip, or as part of that screen time on your desktop and or your laptop computers. Plenty using that route to listen to the podcast these days. A big thanks to our friends at redcircle.com in pushing out the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. Also, That's It, That's All can be found on the iHeartRadio app and on Pandora. The podcast is also a part of the KUAM Podcast Network. We are so excited that That's It, That's All is part of an awesome collection of on-demand audio shows originating in Guam and Micronesia from the number one broadcast and digital source of news and information in Guam and Micronesia. Like, subscribe, or follow right now on your favorite podcast app. Busy times in Guam and the Western Pacific, and many of you have questions, all from the different platforms where you find the podcast. Plenty happening in Guam and the region today. I hope you'll find this particular episode informative. I have to say this has been one of those crazy weeks in Paradise Guam. There is so much to talk about on so many fronts. Let's start with the All Rise Act in Guam. Okay, it is linked to the $600 million Guam is getting under the American Rescue Act plan. It is more money in federal love not seen since the island was devastated by super typhoon Pongsongwa back in 2002. Nearly 22 years later and a pandemic that has devastated Guam and every other corner of the world. The question comes from a listener in Derido, Guam this past week to my Facebook account. Why can't the governor of Guam just pay out the All Rise Act right now? We can use it. That's a quote and an end quote. Great question. The federal law that pumped in millions of dollars into Guam was clear that the priorities and plans related to the American Rescue Plan Act were to be shared with the entire community. In May, 
Guam Governor Lou Leon Guerrero laid out her plans for the use of the funds primarily to show up resources for the aging Guam Memorial Hospital and the lead agency for the COVID pandemic, the Guam Department of Public Health and Social Services. Now, I read, like many, that a new hospital would be a part of the effort, a logical investment, considering that the less-than-stellar conditions at Guam's only civilian hospital exist. Not too sure if the All Rise Act was a part of her priority plan, though members of the Guam legislature tried to get that added to our chief executive's list. Well, can the governor pay it out? $800 for a single and $1,600 for joint filers to the tune of $30 million? Well, she did not sign the original legislation, letting it lapse into law. An acknowledgement of some sort of issue with the bill that was passed by Guam lawmakers. An executive order aside, the lapsing should have told a much bigger story to senators and the people of Guam for the most part. While the infusion will do much to support residents who were and who remain impacted greatly by the COVID pandemic, the policy wongs at Adeloupe are not super convinced. If she paid out these funds without some level of accountability, like confirming a village residence, maybe there stands a remote chance of finding out later that those monies could not be used for that purpose. Now, federal regulators are watching closely what states and territories are doing with these funds. Is there really enough input to warrant usage like the All Rise Act? Well, in Las Vegas, CBS affiliate KLAS-TV is reporting that Nevada Governor Steve Sisolak is holding a Nevada Recovers listening tour with the help of Treasurer Zach Conine and Congresswoman Dina Titus. Now, it's allowing every resident in every community there to provide input on how the state can utilize and invest the over $6.7 billion that they will receive from the American Rescue Plan Act. Also, the Meadville Tribune in Pennsylvania is reporting this week that residents in the northeastern town are being urged to attend a special Cambridge Springs Borough Council meeting and provide input on how to spend COVID-19 economic recovery money. Now, the borough there will receive $279,000 from the American Rescue Plan Act in two payments. They have already received the first, 139000 already, with the remaining half coming in about 12 months. In Missouri, the St. Louis Board of Aldermen gave initial approval for the American Rescue Plan Act several days before the recording of this podcast, which includes $5 million in direct financial assistance, providing St. Louis families with a one-time payment of $500. Now, Governor Leon Guerrero may have gotten some input. You had a snafu on the village verification, may have stirred some emotion there. Heck, that same process was used to get federal Stafford Act help after many a natural disaster here. There is a glimmer of hope, though, from the Guam Department of Revenue and Taxation, and they are prepping a process to pay. So, yes, she could pay. Just don't know if all the Fed approvals have happened since. Thanks for the question. Another question now comes from my or our LinkedIn account. Yes, plenty of listeners finding the podcast through that app. Can you share your thoughts on self-determination? Which status do you support? Thanks for the question. I would choose a status with a closer tie to the United States. 
1898, following the Spanish-American War, Spain ceded Guam along with Puerto Rico and the Philippines to the United States. Historians have written that under the Treaty of Paris, Guam's political status would be determined by the U.S. Congress. 123 years ago, the U.S. assumed the responsibility of helping the people of Guam attain their social, economic, and political development and, by implication, to achieve eventual full self-determination. Now, in 1950, Congress enacted the Organic Act of Guam, granting the people of Guam United States citizenship. Federal law was later passed in 1970 that allowed the people of Guam to vote for their own governor, which was appointed by the presidents spanning 72 years. 1972, Congress. They allowed Guam to have a non-voting delegate seated in the U.S. House of Representatives. Since then, there has been fits and starts to a plebiscite to decide our future. While we wait, my two cents. I am a proud American. I'm a very proud Chamorro man. There can be a future that is mutually beneficial for all of us. I will accept the vote of the people of Guam. My vote will resemble the remarks in this particular episode of the podcast. Okay? Done. More questions after this break from our friends at Get LLC. This podcast is sponsored by Get LLC, a consulting and specialty construction materials and supplies firm. Since 2012, they have provided valuable services to their customers across Micronesia and North America. Check them out on the World Wide Web at get-guam.com. They have a presence on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Get LLC. Find out today how they can best serve your business's specific needs. Okay, another question, one that is not too controversial, from a listener in Tamuning, Guam. Sean, I know you are a sports fan, especially a fan of pro wrestling. Who do you think should be given the title of greatest pro wrestler of all time? Okay, great question. Glad the question was not who is the best tag team of all time. Well, maybe for another Sean Answers Your Questions episode. Okay, I grew up watching pro wrestling from 1975 until, well, today. I'm a big fan of Hulk Hogan and his glory days in the World Wrestling Federation. I'm a big fan of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, a global wrestling superstar for nearly 43 years. I'm a big fan of Chief Wahoo McDaniel. He ruled the AWA, that is the American Wrestling Association, in the 1970s. But the greatest of all time, to me, the nature boy Ric Flair. A 49-year career in the squared circle. I watched many of his greatest matches on the former Superstation WTBS, which as you guys know now is TNT for the most part. In a July 26, 2010 article on BleacherReport.com, they asked perhaps the craziest question in a long, long time. The greatest wrestler ever, sorry, this is the title, the greatest wrestler ever, Ric Flair or Kurt Angle? That's the title. The article says that wrestling fans can never agree on this, and I don't need an article to tell me otherwise. I digress. The article credited, quote, brilliant promos and segments put him on a level higher than anyone else, Mike-wise, from him creating the Four Horsemen back in 1985 to now Flair and Fortune in 2010. Ric Flair has almost given his entire life to the business, but longevity and killer promos 
should not be the only reason why Rick is the best ever. Close quote. I would tend to agree. Ric Flair had some crazy battles in the ring with everyone from Randy the Macho Man Savage, Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart, and his longtime in-ring enemy Sting. But you cannot forget Dusty Rhodes and the battles with Tommy Rich too. Kurt Angle? I don't think so. Ric Flair was cocky. His pile driver sent plenty down for the one, two, three. Ric Flair's figure four? Devastating. He was a champion, seven-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion, 10-time National Wrestling Alliance World Heavyweight Champion, WWF World Champion twice, so no real argument. Even saw the Nature Boy wrestle at the Kaiser Convention Center in Oakland in the late 1990s. Every time he went on the mat, it was so much fun to watch. Now I could go on and on. Thank you so much for the question. We can save the tag team question, I believe, for another time. A question from a longtime friend of mine relative to the ongoing Olympic Games as the podcast is being recorded. Uh, let's see. What is your most memorable moment from an Olympic Games? Okay, a sports question that can be answered with winter or summer games. Let me give you all my most memorable moment first from the Winter Games, 1980. I was a nine-year-old boy, again, raised during the Cold War, the huge matchup between the Soviet Union and the United States. I said Soviet Union. I could have said USSR. I had just turned nine, and plenty of friends and family were watching the Lake Placid Games in San Leandro, California, and all over America. It was a crazy night. My biggest memory, the 2-2 tie in the first period. The rest is a bit blurry including the tying goal. But the eventual winning goal by Mike Ruzioni would forever be etched in my mind. You know that whole thing about, you know, the whole miracles thing? Yes. Now, Summer Games moment. For me, outside of the many times that I watched Carl Lewis win a medal in the 1984 Games, or even the Muhammad Ali firing off of the Olympic Cauldron in 1996, I must say that my most memorable moment in the Summer Games was being there in covering the 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney, Australia. So from my arrival to the media village, to the gallivanting around the athletes' village, to the main press center at Homebush, to the venues to cover all six of Guam athletes at the Games, it all became so real at the opening ceremony where I watched all the work to get to the games, it came down to such a surreal moment. Okay, I had covered the micro games. I had covered the mini South Pacific games. I even covered the Pacific games at home. But then 150,000 people in the stands at the Olympic Stadium in Australia, including me, 120,000 athletes on the track infield. The Guam flag was proudly being waved. 21 days of covering the games was great. It was an experience that I don't think, I don't think it's ever going to happen again. You know, and I really can't watch the games the same way. Well, maybe close now with this new NBC Sports app on my Apple TV. This is not a gratuitous plug for the NBC Sports app or even Apple TV. Watching all the different sports, just like I was in the main press center or from my room at the, the media village. So for these games, 
equestrian, soccer, team handball, wrestling, baseball, uh, tennis to some extent, all had my attention during the Tokyo Games a year later, but still great, no matter if fans are not allowed in the stadiums and sports venues. This podcast is sponsored by Get LLC, a consulting and specialty construction materials and supplies firm. Since 2012, they have provided valuable services to their customers across Micronesia and North America. Check them out on the World Wide Web at get-guam.com. They have a presence on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Get LLC. Find out today how they can best serve your business's specific needs. Okay, another question, this time via an email from a listener in Jigo. Do you think that Guam can modernize its medical liability law in the current COVID climate? Thank you for the question. Takes us all back to the July 9th podcast, Modernizing Guam's Medical Malpractice Law. If you have not heard that podcast, be sure to check it out. Now, what has happened in the month since? Three days after the podcast, Bill 121, which would have authorized the government to enter into a leaseback arrangement for the construction and maintenance of a healthcare center of excellence for the Guam Memorial Hospital, Behavioral Health and Wellness Center, and Guam's Department of Public Health and Social Services was sent back to the committee of the Guam legislature at the urging of the bill's author, Senator Joe San Augustine. Well, back to the drawing board? Or was it the voice opposition to Speaker Therese Trelawhi's Bill 112? to change the aforementioned medical liability law. If in his shoes, I may have done the same thing. Why do you ask? If you're wanting to build a huge medical complex and there's doctors threatening to leave for a change in the medical liability policy, which was about to bring huge changes to the healthcare system to that campus, your key stakeholders not going to be around. Many were lined up to support the new medical campus in Mingila for the most part. Doctors and auxiliary health facilities and services would greatly help Guam and the region. Now, no one questions that there cannot be a change to the medical liability law in Guam. It's been about 30 years. Maybe not that Bill 112. Maybe some other legislation. But timing is everything. Didn't look good as folks on the front lines of the pandemic were feeling a bit putty for this type of proposal to come on the heels of fiscal year and the fiscal year 2022 budget talks, well, healthcare is getting again cut for other so-called essential services. It really is not the right move as healthcare is the most essential right now during the ongoing public health emergency. Now, budget talks will cause this polarizing bill to be punted down the road Just not sure how far, though, they're going to punt it. We'll have to watch session to find out. Well, this week in Guam is probably not as crazy as what is happening in the other U.S. territories. El Nuevo Dia in Puerto Rico this week is reporting that former West Virginia governor and current senator there, Joe Manchin, has told reporters on the Hill that admitting Puerto Rico as a state is going to require an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. That's a huge problem for Puerto Rico to join the Union, as well as D.C., Guam, and the other territories. The Virgin Islands Consortium reported a day before the recording of this podcast 
that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention warned Americans against traveling to the U.S. Virgin Islands unless fully vaccinated, activating its, quote, very high, close quote, danger alert as COVID-19 cases surge in the USVI, a result of the Delta variant spread in the territory there. Now, the advisory is coming as health officials and uh, USVI Governor Albert Bryan announcing earlier this week that hospitalizations have surged in the territory and as active cases remain high at 255 territory-wide with 156 on St. Thomas, 95 on the island of St. Croix, and four on the island of St. John. Now, 39 individuals have died, including two over the weekend, identified by the Department of Health there as a 68-year-old man on St. Thomas and an 84-year-old female on the island of St. Croix. While very supportive also, while very supportive of increasing salaries of public school teachers in American Samoa, Samoa News is reporting this week that senators of the FONO voiced their concern and displeasure that an administration proposal failed to provide details of new salary hikes there, which have been in effect for over a month. Well, since July 1st, per a June 30th directive issued by Governor Lumanu Mauga. Now, the Saipan Tribune is reporting the CNMI House of Representatives. They have unanimously passed a bill that appropriates $103.38 million dollars of the $144.84 million that the CNMI expects to earn in fiscal year 2022 to fund the operations and activities of the CNMI government and its agencies and independent programs this coming fiscal year. Now, the measure, House Bill 2274, which was authored by House Ways and Means Committee Chair Representative Donald M. Maglonia from Rhoda, passed by a vote of 18 to 0. Now, as I am watching what is happening in our U.S. territories, I hope you continue to do the same, to include listening to this podcast. Now, I'll say, send questions or comments to me anytime. Pretty much, I'm not too hard to find. That's it. That's all. If you enjoyed this podcast, download, press subscribe, or follow us right now. More great content is on the way. Talk to you soon. The That's It, That's All podcast is produced by Sean Gamatato. Executive producer is Trisha Gamatato. Hit the subscribe or follow button and leave a review. Thanks for listening.